Martov. Last summer, my grandfather uh, gave me a gift. He gave me back every paper that I have ever written from high school through rabbinical school. Why did he have them? Well, Grandpa Jerry has always asked for copies of my papers. He decided that it was a good way to stay connected and to show me that he cared. It was. He would ask for my papers, read them, and then we would discuss. When he moved out of his longtime home, he gave them all back, and so, of course, I read them. I spent a few nights... I spent a few nights reading my old essays on the Odyssey, papers from a seminar on Maimonides, and a neuroscience paper on the prefrontal lobe in ADD. And as I read these papers, two things stood out to me. First of all, these papers were absolute dreck. <laughs> I mean, if you want to feel humble, read something that you wrote in college. The combination of self-assurance and utter lack of ability or knowledge is staggering. It's actually a nice prep for what we do here on Yom Kippur, because it makes you think about what you are confidently getting wrong today. Once I got over the quality of the writing, the next thing that stunned me was the depth, care, and frequency of the comments made by my teachers. You see, over the years, for the sake of ease, I started sending my grandfather the actual papers themselves. And so what he gave back to me was full of all of the notes and edits made by my teachers. And I was amazed at the thoughtfulness that these professors showed. They were refining my point, correcting the punctuation, offering suggestions. Mostly they encouraged my ideas while telling me my language was imprecise. I used to write little jokes in parentheses in my papers to keep myself entertained. And I once forgot to delete them and the professor edited the jokes. And yes, that was a joke in parentheses on the sermon. I understand why perhaps my advisors took time to give me thoughtful feedback. They knew that I wanted to go into their field. But the neuroscience professor, the anthropologist, the musicologist, I just feel bad. They could have done many more worthwhile things with their time. Now these feelings of gratitude are definitely different than what I felt when I read those critiques way back then. At the time, I remember feeling many emotions. I was embarrassed at not being perfect. I was angry about notes I felt were off base. I was frustrated at myself for making the same mistakes again and again. And sometimes, I was bored, skipping the comments and the little paragraph at the end to just check the grade on the back page. Now, now I can't help but feel gratitude 
that these people, all smarter and more important than I, spent any time at all helping me sharpen my ideas or pushing me to be, present them more clearly. I look at these comments now and I just see love. I see love for me as a developing mind. I see love of thought and I see faith that I could actually do better. And I want to thank all of the teachers I've had who taught me how to make and accept revisions. The need to revise and edit and accept corrections is crucial, crucial for all of us, and no much more than today. On Yom Kippur, we are called to be both the text and the editors. There are many book motifs at play on this holy day. The ledger on which all of our deeds, good and bad, are written. The book of life in which we hope, please God, to be inscribed. We ourselves are likened to scrolls and parchment by the rabbis many times. Now if we are each books and the years simply chapters, then today is an all-day editing party, cramming before the final paper is due. Today we read and reread our past year, making notes about what to keep and what to change in the year to come. Revisions are how we get better, how we ensure that the mistakes that we make next year will be at least different from the mistakes that we made in the past. So how do we learn to edit? What tools do we have? Now we're the people of the book. I think we could find some examples in our tradition. The rabbis were thoughtful editors. The Talmud, their great corpus, is a magnificent and magnificently convoluted document because we watch the rabbis edit in real time as they go. The rabbis weave sources together from different texts and rabbis in an amazing tapestry of law and story. Sometimes, and this will shock you, the rabbinic statements disagree. The Mishnah, which is the oldest and highest ranking book that we have, for example, says children can't read the Megillah, but Rabbi Yehuda, a Mishnaic rabbi, says that they can. The project of the editors then is to try and figure out how they really do agree. But sometimes they'll actually say that the Mishnah was wrong. The editors will, success, will suggest chasuri mechasra v'hachi katani. The text was lacking and it should have been written differently. Now, I want to try and explain how crazy this is. The rabbi's entire project is predicated on the authority and sanctity of its original writings. To say that the Mishnah is written incorrectly would be akin to a district court judge declaring that a line from the Constitution was just wrong and should have been written differently. I don't know if that happens. Lawyer, she'll tell me. Sorry. And while this is bizarre, it's also brave. The rabbis are claiming power for themselves and their descendants to make revisions even to the texts at the foundation of our system. That is how important the need to make revisions is for a system to stay supple and relevant. Now there is a disagreement between post-Talmudic authorities about what exactly is meant by this phrase, the text is lacking and should have been written thus. Rashi, one of our commentaries, says that it is meant to actually change the text. When it says, Chasuri Machasra Vahachi Katani, we're supposed to get out the whiteout, edit the Mishnah, and forevermore it will be read in a different way. 
And a group of rabbis called Tosafot, among them Rashi's grandsons, I wonder if he asked for their papers, disagree with granddad. They say no. When it says chasuri machasra v'hachi katani, it does not actually mean to change the language of the text, but rather to reinterpret it and to find in it a new meaning. Now, as we turn to the project to look at our lives as a text, I think that we can employ the same tool as the rabbis of the Talmud. When we sit down and think about our lives, we will find errors. We will say, chasuri mechasra, this year was lacking. This year I did something wrong that I wish that I hadn't. And hachi katani, it should have been different. The things I did this year I wish had been differently. Perhaps we can take Rashi's approach. There may be things that we can cut out or... We may, like Tosafot, need to reinterpret our mistakes as we move on from them. The question for us as we review our lives and suggest edits is in the margins is to figure out what method to use. There are times where we can and should comprehensively change something about ourselves. There are times when that is the only option. Sometimes half measures won't work and negative things must be deleted. Is it a thing that can be cut out entirely? There are things on my list. iPad games, that's one. Eating sugar after 10, checking my phone when I'm with my kids. For many of us, various technologies might make the list of things we wish we could cut out. Or in the words of one of our high school students at Shul, <laughs> I told you I was gonna quote you. I like TikTok, but if it didn't exist, I would probably be a better person. <laughs> what would it take to edit these things out? And maybe there are people in our lives that we need to fundamentally change our relationships with too. Editing might mean cutting something or someone out. Making fundamental changes in our lives or relationships can be daunting. But if we need an impetus to action, today is the day. Yom Kippur gives us time to reflect and resolve how we can change our surroundings and make our lives better in the year to come. It gives us the reason and hopefully the strength to have difficult conversations and make difficult changes. As we atone for our misdeeds, we are encouraged to investigate the root of those deeds. Is there something we can change so that the behavior won't plague us for another year? As we sit here right now, we should plan what can actually be made different about our lives or the way that we live them so that they're better. As we consider what needs to be removed and rewritten, we should also consider what, like Tosafot, needs reinterpretation. Given not an erasure or promise of change, but rather a new stamp to set it on the side of good for us. There is so much about who we are and what we have done that cannot be changed. And when our actions can't be erased, that's when we must look to find lessons from those missteps. Now we, re we need this reinterpretation because that's all that's available to us in most cases. We cannot undo our actions. Once done, nothing can change the fact that they happen. Rav Cook wrote that our actions and their memory live inside of us and act upon us. 
Good actions, he says, can spur us on to do good, while bad actions roll around in our hearts and can tear us apart. The process of tshuva, according to Rav Cook, is putting a good stamp on bad behaviors. By this, he means that atonement allows us to think positively about our bad actions because we made amends. I can never change the careless thing I said or the hurt that I caused. But, hopefully, the process of making things right, apologizing, talking through an issue, reaffirming connection and working to be better, all of this will turn the bad action into a force for good in my life. And so have Rav Cook's good stamp upon it. If we have done the work of really making amends, then the revising that we have in front of us today is thinking about the lessons we have learned from our mistakes. We can never unmake what happened, but what are the positive outcomes, either from the rupture or the repair? We should reinterpret the meaning of our past to help us be better and not let our errors tear us apart from the inside. Rereading our past from the vantage of the future can help us, like rereading a Mishnah, make meaning out of our memories. Sometimes it's not our actions but ourselves that we might want to put a good stamp on and review as, the year, as we review the year gone by. Our underlying qualities can often feel like the root of our mistakes. Here, too, we cannot simply cut out parts of our personality, nor should we want to. The process of reinterpreting our traits is one of seeing the good in them, as well as what we would change. Yes, I may have a hard time making a decision, but I'm also a very good strategic thinker. I am perhaps too impulsive, but that means I can activate plans quickly once they're made. I might be worried about pleasing people all the time, but also that means I care deeply about those around me. Just my list there again. Part of editing with love is seeing ourselves in a favorable light and seeing our qualities for the good that they can do even as we atone for the bad. As we think about what we've done wrong or poorly, things we wish we had done differently, there is a tendency perhaps to be overly harsh. If you are like me, ugh, I wish I hadn't done that, can quickly spiral into why do I always do that? Or what kind of person does that make me? We should as much as possible give ourselves a kind eye when editing. We deserve the benefit of the doubt. No one here is evil. No one here is irredeemably bad. This holiday teaches us that we all deserve a second chance. But we can only be successful in that second chance if we take time to read the transcript, look at what we did, and plan on how to do better. Today also reminds us to accept criticism. Like reading notes from a professor, it can be hard to hear, but accepting critique shows strength and resilience. It shows that we know we're capable of more, that we believe we can, in fact, be better, and that acknowledging our faults will not break us. And that isn't to say that the process of critique and review isn't hard. In examining ourselves, we relive, we relive moments we wish hadn't happened. We call to light aspects of ourselves we much prefer would stay hidden in the dark. It's not hard to see why we avoid this work, why we might even need an entire day just to force us to sit and review 
who we are and how far reality is from what we want the final draft to look like. It's not hard to see why we might get edgy when others illuminate our faults or show us that revisions need to be made. However, we would do well to remember the lesson that I learned from my professors, the lesson the rabbis have been trying to teach us for a thousand years, done well. Criticism is a love language. It's how we say, I see you, I know you, and I know that you can do better. Even if it's how we say that to ourselves. Criticism is a love language that we should accept and apply to ourselves, and if we can, do it lovingly also to the world around us. James Baldwin wrote that I love America more than any other country in the world, and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. Criticism can and should show love because it implies a fundamental connection. We care enough about something that we want it to be better. We identify it with it so much that we feel when it doesn't live up to its potential. Criticism and review are important because they imply an iterative process. They keep the conversation going. Shouting at someone about how wrong they are, writing people off, canceling them stops the process. Criticism is not canceling. Canceling is about shutting down something you think can never change. And our tradition doesn't do that. The rabbis show time and again that they believe absolutely anyone can do tshuva and that their tshuva can be accepted. We must all be held accountable, but we also all have the power to make things right. And we owe it to ourselves and others to hold out hope that we can change things for the better if we do the work. We can fix some of the things we've done wrong. Others, we can make amends so they, that they have new interpretations. We should approach the task of tshuva with love. Making revisions out of love means taking the time to know your subject, consider all the angles, give the benefit of the doubt, and only make suggestions that are possible and that you know will make things better. We owe it to ourselves today both the critical eye of an editor as well, of the, as well as the loving, guiding hand of a teacher. Because only with revisions from a place of thoroughness, thoughtfulness, and hope can we acknowledge our failings, but also our power to make good. Only through loving critique of ourselves and our world can we better draft it for next year. Hag Sameach, Shana Tova, Gamar Tov.